hey, this morning we sang a song by my request, okay? So I asked uh, Dieter, who was putting our worship uh, together this morning, I said, sing that, that song that we sing once in a while. There's nothing that my God can't do, right? And we sang it, and that's got a great beat and all of that. Uh, but I, I requested that uh, for uh, specifically this morning for a reason, because I, uh, I have a point to make, and uh, that, that, that the way that is stated is technically not correct according to the Scriptures. Now, here's something that's really important. Why I want you to read your Bible, and I want you to read your Bible to the point where you feel proficient in reading the Bible. Now, I am reading my Bible for the 42nd time. I haven't reached 42 times yet, but I'm in that year. So I'm about halfway through my 42nd reading of the Scriptures. And uh, I, I'm just really starting to feel proficient. Now, I don't want that to seem like, oh my goodness, you know, that's way too many times for me. Uh, that, you know, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't, compare yourself with anybody else. Uh, just uh, whatever, you know, conviction God lays on your heart. But, but here's what I, the reason why we want you, we want you to feel proficient in the scriptures because it is important. You can be led astray uh, so easily by changing one word in a sentence structure. Isn't that true? Have, have you ever pondered that, how, how changing one word, maybe just slightly, sends you in a whole different direction and you get a whole different result just by changing one word, maybe slightly, in any, anything that we have to say. Um, for instance, have you ever kind of pondered uh, the comparison of words like the word shall? What does shall imply? If we say you shall do this, that implies that there's no like alternative thinking on that. Like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. You shall do this, right? And so that's a directive, a shall. But you could change that to, um, you should do this. Instead of you shall do this, you should do this. Now, what does that introduce? You know, shall, should, you know, kind of same thing. No, it, it, it leaves a gap, if you will. I should do it, but it doesn't mean I have to do it. Shall says you have to do it. Should says I, you know, I, I could consider doing it or I could consider not doing it. Or what if, you know, we take it one step further, you know, shall, should, could. You could do this. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that's the last option. I could do anything else and then I could, I could do that. And, and so I want us to be aware when we come to the scriptures, a lot of times, things that we say that are from, you know, we say it's from the Bible, it's in the Bible, um, oftentimes it's not, or it's modified. Even a single word that sends us in an entirely different direction. Um, there are things that, you know, even after years of reading my Bible, I thought were in my Bible. You ever, you ever think that thought? You know, it's like, well, that's in the Bible, and then try to find it? Yeah. I remember one time I was, I was thinking, you know, I was, in fact, I was preparing a sermon, a message, and uh, <clears throat> I thought, oh, let's see, a fool and his money are soon parted. 
I, I, I'm going to include that scripture. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and guess what? It's not in the Bible. You know where you will find that? I thought, you know, it's going to be in, in Proverbs and I didn't find it in Proverbs and I looked in Ecclesiastes and then, and then I thought, what? where is this scripture? A fool and his money is soon parted. Well, it is actually in Poor Richard's Almanac written by Ben Franklin, okay? <laughs> Embarrassing. Embarrassing. It's not scripture at all. <coughs> and, and so it brings me back to our song. There's nothing that our God can't do. I know the intent's good on that. I know the intentions are good. Yeah, sir, you know, if there's anything of a positive nature, you know, the, the enemy comes against us, there's nothing that our God can't do, and he can take care of the enemy, and he can take care of the problem, and he can heal the sickness and disease. He can do all that. Nothing, you know, is impossible for him. Except that's not true in a technical sense. And, uh, and I want us to understand that because a lot of times people say they're quoting Scripture, and maybe most of it's Scripture, but maybe some of it's not Scripture. And it's important that you know the difference. So I want to talk today about things that God can't do. Now, it's not as catchy to sing that. Oh, there's some things that our God can't do. And, you know, it's true, but it's not commercially viable, let's say that, all right? Our God can't do. It doesn't sound right to us because we, um, we've been raised to think, and people, we think people are quoting scriptures, say there's nothing that God can't do. Well, it's not in the Bible. You can't find that in the Bible. All right? You think, what? Yeah, the Bible does not say there's nothing that God can't do. Not in the Bible. Again, it's words that replace other words that we kind of sometimes just jump to the conclusion, well, it means the same thing. Well, it doesn't. Jeremiah 32, 27. This is what I think we're projecting, changing a few words here and there, says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, we jump to the conclusion, well, that means the same thing, right? Not necessarily. It means that there's some problem that you are facing in your life. There's nothing too, too difficult for God to do. Um, there's nothing too hard for him to solve. It's a question. It's not a statement, it's a question. And it's stated twice in the scriptures, once here in Jeremiah, once in, in Genesis 18, where uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham in the wilderness. They're discussing Sarah having a child, and uh, they're having a little trouble believing this. And the question is asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And so, like I said, I think with good intention and, uh, and all, we jump to conclusions in converting statements of Scripture into kind of our own vernacular at times. Um, the first thing I want to talk about that God cannot do 
is that God cannot forget. Is God not omniscient? God knows everything. And that is one of his attributes. In fact, if you are deciding today that you want to be God, well, then you have to be omniscient. Start there, okay? Start with knowing everything. All right? And then you've got to be omnipotent. That means stronger than anything. And you've got to uh, you know, be omniscient. Uh, and uh, all, of, all of those attributes are why God is who he is. And so if you are omniscient, think about this, can you forget? It was popular to say while I was growing up in church, uh, I think it's attributed to an evangelist, and it, it sounds great. It sounds kind of good, and, uh, but, it's, but it's not biblical, it's not scriptural, and the bottom line of it, it is not true. Uh, but the evangelist, I think with good intent, said that God takes all of our sin and buries them in the sea of his forgetfulness. Anybody heard that statement? Anybody heard that said before? God takes our sin and buries them in the sea of his forgetfulness. Well, there's, you know, that sounds great. That sounds great. Like, you know, there's a sea of forgetfulness somewhere. Don't know where that is. Maybe I forgot. I don't know. Um, but there is no sea of forgetfulness anywhere in Scripture. And uh, God, number one, doesn't forget anything because he knows everything. So what did that inspiration come from? Well, here it is. Um, Jeremiah 31, verse 34. It says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This is speaking of, of uh, the coming kingdom, the second advent of Jesus. And it says, uh, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For here, here's the, the punchline here. For I will forgive their iniquity. That's good. Forgiving their sin. Okay, so I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, isn't that the same as forgetting? I've had debates. I've had debates with men of God. And in fact, one spoke that here. He said, well, God, God tells us he forgets our sin. And I raised my hand. He says, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and uh, we had a little debate about that. And uh, I did not give ground. <laughs> and that's because... I will remember their sin no more is a statement of intentionality on God's part, okay? I'm not going to bring this up. I am not going to retrieve what I know to be true, and I'm not going to accuse you with it at all. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan is, yes, the enemy. God doesn't do that, okay? God is not the one who accuses us. That is Satan. Satan does remember our sin, and he will bring it up against you. So if you feel accused of past sin, that's not the voice of God. 
Because he says this, I will remember their sin no more. You know, it's like uh, <clears throat> you have a lot of things stored in your memory, and there are things that maybe you don't think of every day, right? And, uh, but they're back there, and all it takes is the right circumstance, the right situation, and all of a sudden, boom, they pop right back into the forefront of our memory. And, uh, and maybe you're having an argument with somebody, and, and sometime in your past, they did you wrong. Okay? And so you're in an argument, and all of a sudden, it conjures up that memory that you hadn't thought of for maybe a while. And what do we do? Well, we bring it back up. You know what that is? That's remembering it again. Okay? And God says, I will not do that. I will remember their sins no more. I know about it, but I'm not going to bring it back up. Because God does not forget. You know, to me, the fact that God does not forget is the most comforting of one of his attributes. It, it's wrapped up in his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. And it, and it comforts me. Have you ever... <clears throat> You know, Ben, maybe, maybe you're ready to go on a trip. Uh, let's just say you're going to White. And, uh, you know, you, you're kind of making a mental list of things you're going to take to Hawaii. You know, I found in Hawaii, don't take any dress clothes. Just don't do that. Don't, don't waste time or space in your, in your suitcase. Um, but, you know, you've maybe got a mental list of things. And you maybe, you know, you get out the door. Maybe you're driving to Anchorage, gets the flight. Maybe you're on the flight. Or maybe you're, you get to Hawaii and you open your suitcase and you think, I forgot something, whatever it is. I forgot my swim trunks. Ah, how could I forget? Well, that's, that's because we, we're finite beings, right? And our ability to forget is huge. You know, we can, you know, intend to do something, take something, you know, fix something or whatever. And... And uh, we just forget. We just forget to do it. God does not forget. And that comforts us. You know, it's like, I am going to come and rapture my church, take it up to heaven, and uh, they're going to be with me during the, the great tribulation. And, uh, and, you know, so maybe, you know, the, the Father sends Jesus to rapture the church and and up the church goes, except for you, right? Hey, hey, you forgot me. He's not going to do that. Okay, he's not going to forget. And um, we sometimes jump to conclusions that God forgets. I will remember your sin no more is the statement of I know what you did, but I will never bring it up against you. I tell you, that's, that's incredible. Because he's a God who does not forget. He is omniscient. He knows everything. How could he forget anything? You know, his omnipresence, God's great attribute of being everywhere at once. And, and we kind of think of that maybe in the presence tense, okay? Like God is everywhere. If, I, if I'm here in Kenai, Alaska, um, and I just was suddenly transported to uh, Miami, the other end of our, of our nation, 
he's there too at the same time, okay? He's omnipresent. But you know, God is, is much more dimensioned than the limitations that you and I are subject to. So, you know, he's everywhere present at once right now, but he is everywhere present in my past, and he is everywhere present in my future. So how could he forget? He saw the sin that you did last week, and he's looking at it right there today, okay? Because he's there. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present, and that's not limited to a 24-hour period. So he is in your past, and he is active and living in our past. We're not, because we don't have that ability. He's in our present, and he's also in our future. He's looking at things, you know, sins that you haven't sinned yet. Okay? Now, the wonderful thing about that is that his forgiveness covers that, past, present, future. And, uh, and, and we are the beneficiaries of that. So the fact that God is everywhere present at once, including time, past, present, future, um, when you are in every moment as God is, you know everything. And God cannot forget. That's good news for us, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say God cannot forget, and that's good news for us. And then you could say amen, all right, if you agree with it. God is, is uh, not going to forget, and that is good news for you. Amen. amen, okay, all right. And that's something that God can't do. Okay, he can't forget. Let's talk about another thing God cannot do. God cannot lie. Wow, of course. Well, it's something that he can't do. You know, and we're saying, you know, there's nothing that our God can't do. Well, it, he can't lie. God, uh, Numbers 23, 19, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has God said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Okay, the, the questions, these are rhetorical questions. But he is not a man that he should lie. He, whatever promise God has ever spoken, whatever promise is in his word will come to pass. What did he say? My word will not return to me what? Void. God cannot lie. Now, let me, let me just maybe explain something that's, that's important to us. You think, well, God has you know, spoken promises to my heart, and they have never come to pass. Well, let me tell you something about that. And you can find in uh, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 1.20 uh, that says, All of the promises of God in him are yes and in him Amen. Okay? All the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. What does that mean, yes and amen? Well, let me, let me explain what yes and amen might mean. Let's just say I, have, I might have an adorable grandchild or two. Just might. Just might. 
and uh, they crawl up on my lap and, you know, all cuteness from 10 years old down to one year old. Uh, they crawl up on my lap and they say, Papa, I love you so much. And I think, oh, yes, anything you ask for. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, since you said that, can I have the keys to your car? And being full of love and joy and my grandchildren, I would tell them, yes, yes, you can have my keys to my car. You can have them. They are yours. It's my prerogative. It's my privilege to do that. And so they hold out their hand. And what do I tell them? Well, not yet, right? Not yet. They're not legal to, you know, to drive a car. And maybe not skilled enough to do that. So I say, yes, that's a promise I made. Yes, you can have the keys to my car. But what the important part of that is, is the amen. When I actually hand them over. Okay? So there's two things. God may have made a promise to you, or maybe God spoke through his word that something is going to happen in your, you know, to you or in your life, or maybe even after you're gone. <clears throat> I've had you know, people say, well, God made a promise to me that uh, you know, this is going to happen before I die, and they uh, passed away, and it did not happen. So what do we, what do we think about that? What do we say about that? Um, if you read in the, in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, which lists many of the stalwarts and the standouts of faith, and uh, there's some interesting language near the end of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. It said that God you know, made them a promise, and they died before that promise was fulfilled. Does not mean that God is unfaithful. Doesn't mean that God did not tell the truth. In him, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. So whatever promises God has put in his word, they are yes to you. And that moment when we receive them is the amen. So understand that, that God cannot lie. That's something he cannot, will not do, is lie. Number three, we need to make some time here. He cannot be unfaithful. My wife let us uh, in prayer transition that he cannot be unfaithful. I think that's huge for us. We never know what a year is going to hold. And usually the first Sunday of the year, we announce kind of a theme for the coming year. And I, um, one of the things I, I am considering, and uh, we'll make a decision on sometime this week before next Sunday, is I will trust him. Whatever, whatever happens, things I don't understand, circumstances I don't like, I choose to trust him. 
That's one of the things I am considering. Why can we do that? Why could we choose to trust him? Is because he cannot be unfaithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 assures us this. If we are faithless, and sometimes we are, sometimes we struggle with faith. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does that mean? It means that's who he is. He is faithfulness. You want to define faithfulness? In, if you look it up in the dictionary, there's a picture of God right there, okay? He is faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. So as we're singing, you know, there's nothing that our God can't do. Well, yeah, um, he can't be unfaithful. Because he is faithful. He will never get tired of you. You know, marriages, you know, happen and uh, they fail. Even though we have vowed faithfulness to one another, how do those marriages fail? Well, you know, I think there's a variety of reasons, you know. Maybe we get tired of each other. Maybe we get bored of her that more than once. Um, rejection all of those things. But God will never get tired of you. And I know, you know, we all have those reoccurring sins in our life that, you know, we, we fall into that temptation, seems like often at times, and we get to the point where, God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, change my ways forever. And, and then we're coming back to the Lord and we think, uh, yeah, it's me again, and yes, it's the same thing. And we feel, but it's not true, we feel like God just is tired of us. What? You're back for the same thing? Didn't I forgive you for that last week? Are you kidding me? How many times do you think I can forgive you? Oh, I know, I know, I know, just one more time. I, I really, really want to stop. I, you know, all of those things, we, we have this picture. But you know what? God is faithful. And not only will forgive you, he already has forgiven you. God will never get tired of you. He never gets bored of you. And he will never reject you. Sometimes... We get bored of God. Sometimes we reject Him. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. But we will never be less valuable to God no matter what we do, no matter what we say, or no matter who you are. In His faithfulness, He's reaching out to us even when we reject him. I want to read just a couple of scriptures here. Jeremiah 31.3. It says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an... What kind of love? Everlasting. What does everlasting mean? It lasts forever. Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That's, that's the way God thinks about you. 
Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. See, he's the initiator here. He's the one that demonstrates his love toward us first. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even cared who Christ was, before we knew him, before we ever accepted him, he loved us enough to die for us. So God will never get tired of you, never get bored, he'll never reject you. You cannot wear out his grace, although some of us come real close. Just kidding. We know love as a transaction. You know, if, if you do this, I will do this. If you like me, I will like you. It's transactional. It's based on somebody else's actions, okay? So if you love me and don't reject me, I will love you and I won't reject you. And that's transactional. God's love is not transactional. He's not waiting on us to love him first. We can see here uh, already in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, before we even knew him, before we certainly ever loved him, he died for us. He demonstrated his love for us before we were even aware of his existence. <clears throat> God's love is not transactional, it's transformational. It transforms us. And every single one of us have experienced that love in his life that has transformed us. Those of us, you know, who lived lives of sin came into awareness of Christ and his love for us and we accepted him and his forgiveness, inviting him to be Lord of our life, and it has transformed us. Those who were in addiction and could not break addic addiction until they discovered God's love for them, and it transformed them from an addicted person to a formerly addicted person. That's transformational love. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. So he cannot be unfaithful. And last point I want to make today, and there's probably more subjects we could cover about things that God cannot do, but he cannot abide evil. There is no evil in him. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Speaking metaphorically, light is truth, darkness is evil, and God is light. He doesn't have light, he is light. Again, words are important here. What does it mean, you know, if God is light as opposed to God has light? It's two different things, isn't it? But God is light. 
And in him is no darkness at all. God is truth. He is light. He is life. And there is nothing in him of evil. You know, a lot of people accuse God of being evil, right? You know, if God was God, you know, he could take care of this and that and the other thing. You know, you know here, here's, here's the answer, and this is not just a gotcha sort of thing. This is the answer. You know, if God is good, you know, then why do we have starving children? Why doesn't God do something about that? There are kids going to bed hungry tonight. Why doesn't God do something about that? And you can say, well, actually, God has done something about that. He put you here on the earth to take care of it. Think about it. Why are you here on this planet? Are you here just for your own purposes, for your own goodness? No, God has put us here on a mission. And why do you notice that there are starving children in the world? Why? Because God gave you that awareness. Why did he give you that awareness? So that you would be moved to action to do something about it. God is light, he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no part of God's nature that is darkness. In fact, he calls and invites everyone of us to join him in his light. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And here's, here's the part I want to emphasize, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God doesn't want us to live in darkness either. And he invites us to join him in his light. We are the ones who live in darkness before Jesus comes into our lives. Wherever Jesus goes, the light comes on and the darkness leaves. We, as everybody knows, we celebrated Christmas just a week ago. And we, through that season, referred to this scripture, which is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, but it's quoted in Matthew 4, 16. It says, the people who sat in darkness. So those who were in, in the, the grip of sin have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Speaking of the coming of Jesus. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. You and I, and, 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 and this points up the, the problem. And this whole darkness and light is the thing that we have to understand. Is that you and I are sinners. We live in darkness. And God is light, is light. And in him is no darkness at all. We cannot approach God on our own. Because we are darkness. 
He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's a problem. Have you ever, uh, have you <clears throat> probably long discovered those, those super magnets? You know, when I was a kid, we had magnets, but not like magnets they make today. I don't know. Those super magnets, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if you've ever played with them or whatever, but, you know, it's like, um, you know, the magnets when I was a kid, we kind of forced those things together. You could make them touch and, and hold them there. If you let go, of course, they'd, you know, go, you know, fly apart. But these new super magnets, man, you, can, you cannot do that. I mean, they're just they're so strong that, you know, it's just like, as soon as you get close enough, it, you know, they just resist each other. And, and that's kind of like light, darkness trying to be part of light. It's not going to happen. You and I are sinners. We cannot approach God. We have this problem. We who are sinful cannot approach a holy God. His holiness repels our sinfulness. We cannot ever meet. Our sinfulness repels his holiness. No matter how we ask, mask or hide or compensate our sinfulness, it will never be overcome. We cannot find our own way to God. And so that's where Jesus comes in. He paid the price of our sin by dying on the cross. The Bible calls it atonement. He made atonement for our sin. He paid for our sin. He covered it. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no taking away of sin. One of the th things that uh, when you're reading your Bible this year, you will encounter the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is difficult to read. Unless you have some understanding of what's going on. Something that you will read in the book of Leviticus is when God is instructing Moses about those who are coming to the tabernacle to pay for their sin. And with him they will bring a sacrificial animal. So it's a goat or a sheep. And here's, here's the phrase I want you to look for. <clears throat> it says, And he shall place his hand on the head of that animal, whether it's a sheep or a goat. He will place his hand on the head of that animal. What does that mean? Why is that important? Ah, that's, that's, that's key. <laughs> it's, it's everything. It's everything. Because when they present themselves before the Lord at the tabernacle. And that innocent animal stands next to them and they place their hand on its head. It's called vicarious transmission. And all your sin is transferred. Sinful, innocent. Sinful, innocent lay my hand on the innocent and it becomes sinful and I become innocent. It's transferred. 
And then that animal is led to the altar where its blood is spilled and the sin is atoned for. My sin is covered in blood. That's what Jesus did for us. He who is innocent, all he asks us to do is reach out and lay our hand on him. And our sin is vicariously transferred. He becomes our sin and we become without sin. He would do that for us. All of our sin was laid upon him who knew no sin. And you can invite Jesus into your life today by just reaching out to him today. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Uh, I've got all the credentials of sin that anybody could have. And I need forgiveness. I can't even forgive myself. And if you reach out to the Lord today, He will take your sin away. He who knew no sin became sin for you. And we receive forgiveness. If that's your desire today, would you just bow your heads with me right now? And just say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you today. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads today, Lord, we're, we're looking at just a matter of hours entering a brand new year. And Lord, we want to enter that new year as a brand new person. But we can't do that being the old person that we are. And so today, Lord, I pray for everyone who reaches out to you today and say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you take my sin away? I believe in the sacrifice you made for my sin on the cross. And I pray that you would cover my sin with your blood. And help me to live for you. Give me your Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me into the truth, into light, to avoid darkness, and to be transformed by your love. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen.